Welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast. I'm Curtis Maloli. And I'm Chelsea Jones. And today we're talking about how to do online discussions a little differently. We're recording from our homes in Toronto on Treaty 13 territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, and also the Dish with One Spoon territory. And joining us today is Dr. Damien Lee. Damien is a member of Fort William First Nation and an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at Ryerson University. And as has been the case with most of us teaching in higher education in 2020, Damien's courses have gone virtual this year. He's currently teaching two courses, a small special topics class in Indigenous Studies and a larger mandatory class for sociology majors on Indigenous perspectives on Canada. We'll be talking about the decision he made to teach his classes fully asynchronously this past term and some of the strategies he's been exploring to shake up what we might call the social distance that is often felt to be part of that asynchronous kind of delivery. He's done that by responding to discussion boards with short videos that he records out on the land. Uh, and the videos are modeled on a very informal communication style, the kind of you know social media, TikTok, Instagram style. Uh, and they offer a, an intimate response to specific questions and points that students raise in those weekly discussion. Let's take a listen. Hey folks. Um, one of my goals in this course is going to be, or is to, to respond to uh, discussion questions and key questions that come up each week. Um, I'm hoping to do so uh, just as a way to flesh out some of the ideas or provide clarifications as we go. Sorry, I'm just out with my dog in the bush right now. So I'm trying to watch to make sure he doesn't get into trouble. Anyways, but one of the questions that came up was, um, if I could pro provide more um, more information about what counter-diffusionism is. So in one of the week one videos, I talked about uh, diffusionism, specifically Eurocentric diffusionism. And that's the, that theory that all, all the good things come from Europe and, and move outwards to the periphery. Counter-diffusionism counter is just the reverse of that. And it's basically the idea that things from the periphery were also coming back into Europe. Whether that be knowledges or technologies or whatever the case may be. Um, it's just a recognition that it wasn't always a one-way street. So we just heard, Damien, you talking to students from a video that you gave to your class for them to listen to, to see you moving outside. Can you tell us what's happening in this video? Can you describe what they saw and what it was for? Yeah, with that specific video, you can hear me talking about my dog in, in, in that short clip. Uh, I would take my dog and my phone and go to some trails in the bush outside of the city where I live and, you know, talk to my class, really. Uh, so in that video, it's me walking, so you can hear me a little bit out of breath, um, kind of just about to go up a hill. I'm surrounded by trees and kind of like, that was that particular video was shot in early September, so it was still quite warm still. So I was in a t-shirt and it was really lush. And it was just a really different kind of scene for the students to look at uh, compared to what they may normally look at in the rest, other parts of my course, which is like a talking head next to a bunch of PowerPoint slides. So yeah, I'm just walking through the bush, talking to my dog, talking to the students and kind of like getting into the, some of the, the material that we had covered in class that week. And you decided to do this specifically for discussion boards um, as a response to discussion boards. Uh, what made you decide to do that? It was a hunch really at first, I mean, in, in August, I had taken some training at, through Ryerson, through Ching School to, uh, you know, think about how to do on remote delivery. And so leading up to that, I was 
preparing and just thinking through how I'm going to do this with my two courses because I hadn't delivered courses remotely before. So this is the very first time I've done that. And yeah, I basically wanted to take this approach to um, shake things up a little bit. So students didn't necessarily have to be only looking at me sitting down, talking to a screen and talking about you know, specific PowerPoint slides and just to give them a, a different experience in the course, but also to make it super informal, much more conversational. One way I was thinking about it in terms of the modeling was those conversations that happen after class or at break when you're in kind of like delivering in-class uh, teaching. And so I wanted to kind of like create that potential at least in some way to like have that informality. Uh, but then the other thing too, is I just, I, you know, I was thinking about what do students, maybe I should say it like this, what's my perception about what students want <laughs> and my perception about what students want these days in terms of consuming information is short clips. And like, I think, you know, looking at the way TikTok works and the way the Instagram videos work, you know, by and large, these, these kind of like social media video, which can be often really informative are very short. 30 seconds, a minute, or whatever the case may, may be. So I just really wanted to take that model and plug it into this kind of iteration of, of my courses. So one question that I have about that is, um, you know, how are students receiving it? And does this mean that your course is turning into something of a social media platform or a potential social media platform um, mm -hmm. as you're trying to integrate this sort of quick, informal, conversational video? What are students making of that? That is really a key question that I've been working with the Learning and Teaching Office at Ryerson, especially over the past month, but really since August. I really want to know that. And so one of the things that I've been working with Curtis on, in fact, is... Uh, using Google Forms to receive some feedback, informal feedback from the students. That's not um, part of like official grading scheme. It's, it's not like I built this in at the start, although I am uh, offering some bonus marks for that. Answering the question about how are they receiving it, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So here we are at the end of the semester and I'm looking over their comments so far in terms of their Google Form responses to those videos that I post every week. And so far, you know, I'm asking questions like, do you find these videos to be more useful than, say, the PowerPoint videos that are pre-recorded and posted to our course shell? And some of them are saying, yeah, like, you know, these kind of informal short videos help me to understand the topic in a way that didn't come across in the formal delivery, which, you know, to me makes a lot of sense. It's like when I'm, when I'm teaching, there's a whole strategy there about how to get the message across and the, and the information into their pockets. So, you know, I know that they've gotten it, but by and large, like there's no way I can guarantee that that's happening. And so the videos are a response to their discussion posts, which in themselves are a response to my lectures. So it's kind of like the stacked loop in some ways. And so what's happening there, just to, just to unpack this a little bit, is that I post a lecture that's a PowerPoint video pre-recorded and me talking and they can see my head, you know, talking. <laughs> Then they have to respond to it in written form in discussion post to a question that I draw from the lecture. And then I review their discussion posts and tease out shortcomings on my part, maybe that I, maybe I skipped a step that I assumed they would have known, but maybe they didn't. Uh, maybe there's questions that I just didn't see coming that they bring to the table that I, you know, need to be addressed. Or sometimes there's issues of like, I can see that they're getting to a point, but they just need that one extra little push to really grasp a subject. And so that's what these videos are about. These, these kind of like short minute, two minute videos, they are just meant to fill in those kind of gaps. I see these videos as a way to build agility into the course, into my teaching, 
and delivery of the course so that I can respond as quickly as possible in really ways that I hope are productive so that the students really get what I'm trying to deliver. I, I love that because and I know when we first spoke to you, you really emphasized that you wanted to, you know, replicate some of what happens naturally in your classes and in the discussions and, and, and in what unfolds. And, and I'm interested in this in the sense that there's like these different tools that you're using, right? So it's not static. You've got the lecture, you've got the discussion board, uh, you've got the video, and then you have a Google form where you're getting them to sort of very personally and privately with you more intimately reflect even just a little bit further. Um, have you noticed in going through that iterative process that when they give you a response to, in the Google form in that final reflection, does it feel like dialogue? Does it feel like you've moved from one spot to another? Is that evident in this kind of process you've developed? Definitely evident to me. Like I feel it because at that point, it's not, um, I'm going to try to get to this a couple different ways. If I'm kind of like taking an approach where, uh, where my teaching style say is just filling a cup, right? That whole metaphor I, I'm able to fill the cups in the class by just like delivering the PowerPoint lectures, but that mm. doesn't really create the space for critical engagement on anybody's part. It, you know, they either get it or they don't. But the, the Google Forms that I'm using for them to respond to my short video, for definitely for me as 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 the prof, I feel like I'm actually engaging with where they're at uh, and and kind of like much more informally and kind of like sometimes jokingly, sometimes bringing my own epiphanies into the conversation in the moment and just saying like, hey, I never thought about this. Actually, you know, so-and-so said this and, and here's what I think. It also creates a space for humility on my part. Like um, sometimes I'm, I see teaching as embedded in this idea of, of maintaining a fourth wall where like the prof is supposed to be all knowing and I'm kind of like questionable. And I don't think I don't subscribe to that teaching uh, pedagogy at all. Obviously, I want to be prepared and deliver an accurate lecture and, and whatnot. But I think the real learning in, in terms of where students, in my experience at Ryerson and elsewhere, uh, where students kind of like really start to engage with material in critical, nuanced ways, it's when we kind of open the space to say, like, actually, I never really thought about that before. My assumption might be this, but I'll have to come back next week with a better answer for you. But here's what I think right now. And I may be wrong. But that humility really kind of breaks down the fourth wall, which I think humanizes the process. And like, what more could we want? Like, what better thing could we want to tap into in this remote teaching moment than hu humanizing the delivery? I can't think of a better way to do that. So I don't know if, you know, these short videos are the single solution to this, but like, it's definitely creates that space to be a little bit more humble in teaching and a little, little bit more accountable and responsive to the students. And, and if it's being delivered properly and, and in a good way, actually deepening some of the knowledge that we are canvassing together. I'm really, really picking up on what you're saying about humility and also agility. So I will tell you, and I kind of feel like I'm admitting this, but leading up to this conversation and learning about your videos, I decided to try it in my own class. And I made a quick one minute video for my students and I found myself feeling a little vulnerable, like out of my comfort zone, because it wasn't as sort of composed or prepared as it usually is. And I decided to use my cell phone and walk around my apartment and talk to them um, and just sort of improvise because I had things I wanted to say to them that didn't need to be scripted. 
And also when I'm thinking about our class and when I'm thinking about my students, I'm in my apartment. This is where they see me now. They see my cat. They see, you know, they see all these things. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe Damien's onto something. Maybe this is a good way to sort of humanize the teaching. But it also made me think, you know, that place is really important. And for me, you know, my apartment was one place that is significant to the course. But for you, you're doing these videos outside with your dog in nature. And I wonder if you can speak to what it means to be outside making mm. these videos and how that relates to your teaching and your and your courses. Yeah, you know, I have a lot to say about this. I'm gonna get to the land, specific land piece in a sec because that's really how I designed it. But I will share a bit of an anecdote. I was so busy at the end of at the second half of November with other deadlines, not related to teaching that to be honest, it was really hard for me to get to the land and do these videos. And one day I had this massive deadline and the, the only chance I had to get away from my computer to do the videos, to get away from the writing that, that I was required to do that day was to run to Tim Hortons and get a coffee. And so I did, <laughs> I did one of my videos, my response videos in the drive-through lineup and getting a coffee and at one point i was cool. not trying to do this on purpose but i had to order my coffee halfway through the video and i just like had my phone and i was like and i said to the students like oh just wait a second you can order this so i ordered the coffee <laughs> and then i kept on talking right i don't know how they responded to that yet i haven't checked their the responses to that week's video because i was just i think it was just last week but i remember just really kind of like laughing to myself just like if we're talking about breaking down the fourth wall like i mean here it is i'm literally driving through ordering a coffee so now they know what I want like in my coffee right I think the conversation about breaking down the fourth wall is an important one because it does speak to humility it does speak to humanization I think there's reasons to have a fourth wall though at times too like obviously you don't want to be walking around in your underwear trying to teach and do these videos like that's obviously beyond the line but like but you know I think there's something to talk about in kind of wanting to humanize our courses and our delivery in ways that really create the possibility for engagement I think that's really the key is like how are students engaging um, in terms of the land question, though, that's really critical. That was really, you know, aside from developing social media type videos and wanting to create videos that were building responsiveness into the course. And this was all like me thinking up front, you know, back in August, I also thought about doing it on the land. And so critical to Indigenous scholarship and Indigenous knowledges is the land. And when I deliver my courses at Ryerson, I tend to focus on Indigenous studies type courses, even though I'm in sociology, all my degrees are in Indigenous studies. I always incorporate land into my teaching as much as possible anyways. When delivering in class, I always do field trips of some sort, whether it's downtown in Toronto or somewhere else if I'm teaching elsewhere, where there's always a land-based component. And so I was thinking, well, how do I build this into the course for remote delivery? And for reasons of safety and obviously the public health emergency that is COVID and just like individual physical safety, I wasn't going to ask my students to go anywhere. Like I wasn't going to say like, you know, for this assignment, you have to go on the land and do this because that puts them at, potentially at risk. And obviously that's, I don't want to do that. And so I, I figured that I'll, I'll do the landing component. And so the videos were designed specifically to be on the land where I could at least talk about it or they could at least see it and I could have the opportunity to engage land if I if I needed to um, but also just for the sake of variety as well like so my lecture videos are really talking head there's an image of my head talking in the corner and then the powerpoint slides are flipping through and we all know what that looks like it's kind of a necessary evil at this point but 
the land-based videos were, were also a way to add variety and kind of like freshen up the course so they don't just get stuck with these stuffy virtual background videos every week and that's it. Like I wanted to like have some space for them to kind of like, yes, it's informal, but also just look at something else. And is this something that you foreground with the students? Do you kind of make reference to the land as you're doing them sometimes? Or is it something that is just kind of um, implied by the situation that you're in and the way the video works? So far, it's been kind of implied. If I were to do this again, I know that you and I have, you, you and I have talked about this a little bit, Curtis, in terms of like how to engage the land more. Um, I think that I would definitely do that in the teaching as a pedagogical tool. Like say like here today, I'm, I'm doing this thing on the land and here's some of the kind of like inferences I would draw from it and apply it to the course in some way. Mm. Um, I didn't do that this time, but I think that's something I would definitely want to explore next time. It's not totally implicit though. Like obviously they can hear and see the land, but I, I try to make references to things like, you know, for example, in the clip you played, I was talking to my dog. So like, you know, you would have seen or heard him kind of bopping around. Other instances, I'll, you know, talk about like, oh, look, you know, I can see like snow on the ground over here. So at that, at that point, it's really kind of like in passing and, and, and implicit. But I think that there is potential there to do more. Uh, yeah, especially, especially for Indigenous studies based courses, like there's so much inferences you can draw from land based activities. Earlier, you mentioned uh, that the key to this is thinking about how students are engaging. And I think for many of us who are teaching virtually, um, whose classes are maybe online for the first time, we are engaging with students using discussion boards. And there are conventions to discussion boards that are very common. Uh, they appear in our learning management systems, often in pretty predictable ways. So I wonder, you know, why shake them up? Because some students really like discussion boards, they're comfortable with these conventions, that sort of thing. And others I know really, really don't like them and do want to change. So what was it um, that made you really want to change up how a discussion runs in your course? This is really my first time doing it. So I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I had a hunch that they may not be as productive as I want them to be. Um, and I think there's probably techniques out there that I don't know about or I haven't practiced that could really increase the uh, utility of discussion boards, say in an online learning platform. Um, but the way I designed this, my classes this time around was basically, uh, I wanted students to post a thought to discussion board each week that's responding to a question that I pull out of lectures and sometimes readings. Um, just as a way for me to measure, I guess, right? I, I kind of really wanted to measure their understanding of, of a point, but that to me doesn't, that measurement doesn't really uh, get us close to engagement and doesn't get us close to humanizing. Mm. It's, it's a measurement and, and that's, that's in some ways can be dehumanizing. And so I was trying to balance, really, I was trying to balance this way of assessing students for understanding of course content but not making it a completely dehumanizing dead end kind of space of the of the course. And so these videos were a one way for me to like push that a little bit to see if we could do something more than just having it this kind of like dead space. I really love that, especially since, you know, I, I think in my mind, when when uh, I found out you were teaching completely asynchronously, I know I've heard from other faculty members and I know it was my feeling as well that 
you know, the dynamism that even you spoke about in the classroom with discussions and the way that they unfold and the way that we kind of riff off of what students are saying, um, it seems like, well, I, I just can't do that in discussion form. Like, there's just no way to do this well. Um, and in some ways, you know, I think there's an argument to be said that, you know, discussion boards can be really problematic in a lot of ways. Um, but I love that uh, you began with that premise and immediately before the course started, thought of ways to kind of expand that and give that iterative feedback cycle. It's, I think it's such a terrific idea. I wonder if, as you're thinking, you know, as you go forward, um, would you teach asynchronously, fully asynchronously again? Would you consider, like, what would you do differently based on, on the experience you've had so far? That's really on point. I was just thinking that, you know, for those who teach remotely, but synchronously, they may say something along the lines of like, well, the stuff that Damien's talking about here may be achieved through synchronous learning. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I've, I've learned this time around that I would do differently. We talked a little bit about how to use those videos in, in ways that maybe centers the land a bit more. So that's one thing. I won't go into that, but like, you know, that's one thing I would do maybe is, is build in some more engagement with land as a pedagogical tool, not just the video in the land. I did like the ability to pre-record my lectures. And the reason I like that is because being at home with a small baby and, you know, my life happening at home too, it was a way for me to prepare lectures when I had the time and the energy. It just adds so much more flexibility. Sometimes I re record them at six in the morning because I'm up early and that's when I could do it. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm doing it at night. And so the flexibility that was there was important to me. However, if I were to do this again, I may build in, say, one or two synchronous lectures, maybe halfway through the year. The reason I, was, I, I would do that is kind of create some more bonding, if I can use that word, like where students get to know me a bit more. I'm not, I'm not there sharing like personal stories about life, but just like responding in real time and giving lecture and they can have more of um, you know, a bit of a relationship with me in that sense. And I would also, as an aside, I would probably uh, ratchet down the weekly discussion posts as well. So this semester they're doing weekly discussion posts. If I were to do it again, maybe I'd do it bi-weekly. Um, it creates a little bit more flexibility for, for me. It, it still gets to allow me to measure what they're learning. Maybe I might get a little richer commentary in the discussion post if it was bi-weekly. As you describe um, how you might offer some courses synchronously or asynchronously or a bit of a blended both, it really tells us what you've sort of been learning from this experience and, and, and how your thinking has evolved throughout um, the semester, which doesn't seem like a long time, but a lot can happen in a semester, especially if you are thinking about making online teaching relational, or as you say, humanizing online teaching. And so I wonder, are there any surprising moments? Did anything happen over the course of the semester that took you by surprise as you were producing these videos and sharing them with students? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But not, I mean, I guess the surprise is still unfolding in some ways, I should say, because I'm still reviewing the Google form responses, yeah. right? So so they are responding to me. And I guess there's two surprises that, that I, I've come across so far. And they're both kind of, they, they're, they're not rocket, rocket science, either of them. The first is, I, I have to start with this one because it's kind of funny. I, 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 I can't believe I didn't think of this at the start. Moving from September into December in the regular course of the semester, uh, we lose a lot of light. I was saying this to Curtis, I think last time we talked, I actually have, I've had a, a lot harder of a time doing these videos because I work all day on my other stuff for, for Ryerson. And then I try to squeeze in these videos with my dog walks, which I do a couple of walks a day, but the one I, I've been using and the one that designed these videos around was my evening walk with my dog, right? 
Mm. And yeah, you know, at end of November and into December, there's no light at the at four or five, six o'clock at night. Like it's pitch dark. At least in there's our a lot part of production of, questions here for you. <laughs> yes, yes. And so the lighting was an issue. Um, and so I had to be, do a bit of a scramble about halfway through November, early November, to shift my workday around to go do these videos. So that's one thing. I mean, you could solve that just by having proper lighting, but then you kind of lose the land as well. So that's one thing that was, you know, mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about. And then the other thing, uh, it's funny as well. Uh, when I first started posting the, the Google form request for the students to comment about pedagogically, what tool do you like? You know, do you like these videos compared to the weekly lectures? And uh, I was joking about this with Curtis when I first started rolling this out. The students treated those Google form questions as just another discussion post at first. Mm -hmm. like they, mm -hmm. they were responding to me as if I was wanting to know about course content. I was really wanting to know about pedagogical tool. Do you like this tool? That's what I was after. But the way I was phrasing the question, it was not clear enough. So the, the students were in student mode and as opposed to a collaborator mode where they were responding to me as a student to a professor where what I was really asking was, hey, person to person, do you like this? Like, do you, do you think this is useful? And, you know, they weren't engaging in that way. So I had to uh, augment my questions and try different versions of questions each week in that Google form where they could respond in ways that like actually narrowed in on whether or not this thing as a tool was useful to them in their learning style. Basically, I can report that I'm getting better at those questions. Like each week, I've gotten a little bit, little bit better in asking that question in a way that that tees out a pedagogical, or sorry, a responsible pedagogical tool. And even you know, it, it relates even to what you were saying about the discussion boards earlier. Like you know, the the learning and what Chelsea was saying about how like the learning management system. There's this logic of how students are supposed to operate within it, and that logic is. It's really just like this, like, oh, there's a question I have to report back. I, I got to ask another question. I have to give more content back. I love that you're kind of really trying to foreground for them that you care about what they think, that you do want to humanize the process, and that even though you're not in a synchronous space, that you want to create that connection with the students. So, you know, I really appreciate what you were saying about maybe integrating like a, a few synchronous elements. And I've heard that on both sides. I've heard some folks that have done fully synchronous. They're now like, you know, I think there's a chance to do a little bit more asynchronously. And then, of course, on the other side, and, you know, I wonder going forward, you know, when we go back into the classroom, I really hope we will as soon as possible. But when we do do that, um, if we can still use some of these tools, right? I mean, I, I imagine some of them will still be relevant to our teaching even then. Yeah, I think so. And who knows what's going to happen when we start to recover. But um, yeah, I can definitely see potential for this at this point for, for yeah. kind of like mixing some of these tools that we've had to develop through this uh, emergency. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. This has been a terrific discussion and really appreciate you sharing so much about your pedagogy. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. It's been uh, really great. And Damien, before we sign off, I just, I have to ask because I'm in my home right now. We're recording from home and I look outside and I see um, these big wet snowflakes falling from the sky. It's really slushy and miserable out. Are you going to record <laughs> a video today or now that the weather is cold, are we going to see you outside recording videos next semester? Well, I'm not recording today because I had to record last night in order to get the, the video to them on time so that's been posted but i i wish i was recording today because it would have been much better than what they the kind of backdrop they they got last night which was the inside of my garage unfortunately but that's <laughs> how that's how the cookie crumbled last night but uh next semester uh i have a course release and i have a uh a compressed course so it just turns out i'm not teaching in january i'm teaching later in the semester but uh i 
I'm, I'm toying with the idea of having the students do the videos themselves for when I go back into class. Ah, oh, I love so, that. So, yeah, so instead of me doing the, being the one that is recording these one minute videos, I may have them do do something like that in a maybe smaller iteration. So not weekly, but maybe something that as, as one assignment where they go to the land, they do a video and, and it's, it's for me to kind of grade and review or something like that. That is a good so we'll way see. to get around the discussion board. I like that idea a lot. <laughs> uh, well, thanks again so much for being here today. Uh, we also want to thank the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching for funding this podcast. And also a big, big thank you to instructional technologist Sally Goldberg-Powell, who helps produce this episode. And also thank you to Chloe Hazard, who's a production support specialist who also contributed to this episode. We have more episodes coming up in the winter, so please stay tuned.